busy being a mom working, doing everything so much during the day that when my kids go to bed and I'm done with everything, I don't want to go to sleep. I'm just going to sit and do all the things that I want to do, like binge watch Netflix, <laughs> all that sort of stuff, kind of sacrifice sleep as a result. So that's what mom is, or you're doing a million things and sacrificing sleep. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Sansone. Welcome to another episode of mom to mom the podcast. So today we are talking all about sleep. If you know, you know. If you are having problems with sleep, this can take over your entire life. So honestly, when was the last time you got a good night's sleep? And I'm talking a good night's sleep, like went to bed, slept through the night, woke up, energized, and ready to take on the day. Honestly, for me, I cannot tell you. I don't know if that's actually ever happened in my life. Even when I was a teenager, I couldn't do that. So today I'm going to introduce you to someone who can make this a lot easier for us. She is a sleep doctor. Her name is Dr. Shelby Harris, and she is a clinical psychologist who specializes in sleep behavior, especially with women. She's also the author of The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. So she is our girl, and we're going to break down the ever-popular concept of momsomnia. I know that this happened to me. We're going to explore why you might not be sleeping well and what you can do to change all that. So there were so many great takeaways, things that I have already been implementing since we had this conversation. So hopefully you will like it as much as I did. Here's my conversation with Dr. Shelby Harris. Dr. Shelby, welcome to the mom cave. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for having Maria. I'm really happy to be here. I feel so lucky to be spending time with a clinical psychologist who specializes in sleep and has literally written a book called The Woman's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. I just feel like we are very blessed to have you in our presence today because there are so many women who need this conversation. A lot of women are suffering and they really, there are really good treatments out there. So what does your practice look like? Like what's a typical day as a sleep specialist? A lot of my sessions now are on Zoom, which is kind of crazy. I do have an office that I haven't been to that much in a long time. I work with people, a lot of women, but all different ages who have sleep issues like insomnia, nightmares. They have trouble with sleep apnea and getting used to their machines. And then I also treat depression and anxiety and other stuff. So I have a nice varied approach. And I also work with babies through older adults. So I get to see all different ages too, which is lovely. You definitely caught my eye because you were using a term that I found floating around the interwebs called momsomnia. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a perfect episode for us. And when I started digging into the work you do and did a little research, I found that insomnia disproportionately impacts women. And of course that makes sense, but I didn't realize, I thought this was something that affects men and women, but obviously it's a problem for women more so. Why is that? So women tend to have more insomnia for a few reasons. So one is just there's the biological changes, which is kind of a bummer. What we see is with boys and girls, they have the same rates of sleep problems, insomnia especially, up until they hit adolescence. When at, once adolescence starts, girls, women start to have more problems because of hormonal changes around their period. And then when you hit pregnancy, I mean, come on, it's not easy to sleep when you're pregnant, then you have a baby. And then there's other stressors like Women are working a lot of times. They're taking care of their family. They're taking care of adults. And then there's psychological. We tend to have a little bit more anxiety, a little bit more depression, and just feel stress a little bit more than men. So it's it's kind of in all different areas, which is a bummer, but it, it happens. So what are some of the most common issues that you see with the women who come into your practice or you Zoom with these days? 
I see a lot of women who have young children at home and they really struggle with, like we were talking about that momsomnia. So they struggle with just finding time to get everything done when they're taking care of kids and they're trying to work and all that sort of stuff. So I work with that a lot. And then the other big thing I see is perimenopause. So I see a lot of women who are starting to have physical changes, who start to have more stress, anxiety, possibly due to perimenopause. And they're they're just kind of not sure why they're not sleeping well. So those are the two main, main areas that I see with women. And that is something I wanted to bring up. And it's a word that is so infrequently used that I actually thought it was perimenopause because I've probably only read about it because you don't really hear people talking about it. But talk a little bit about what that is. And we're already discussing hormones and how they come into play with sleep. But with something like perimenopause, perimenopause that can it. happen for young women, right? Like what age are we starting to look at this? Yeah, I mean, it's typically in your 40s that it starts. And remember, it's gradual. It's not like something you just hit it all of a sudden. So, but 40s, but there are women that can have it starting in their late 30s. I mean, I sometimes get women come to me who clearly are in it and then they're like, oh no, I'm too young. So what it is, is you start to have hormonal changes. It's kind of the transition from fertility ages into basically getting menopause, which is when you stop having your period for at least a year. So it's this long transition that's four to sometimes as long as 10 years for some people, but the average is 45. You have night sweats, you have hot flashes, you have breast tenderness, fatigue, mood swings. Um, you can have insomnia, you can have, I mean, there's so many different things that can happen and you're, you have irregular periods. They'll start to, some will be longer, some will be shorter. And it just kind of just changes over a period of few years until you stop having your period altogether. We're going to actually do an entire episode on this coming up because I don't think there is as much information out there as there should be. And I would like to dig deeper, but so many of those things you were talking about sound a lot like PMS. So they probably mask as one or the other. So it can be difficult to identify, right? You still can have PMS because you're still getting your period. It's you can still get pregnant when you're in perimenopause. It's just your period length, the cycle tends to change, and then you have all these other symptoms. And PMS can get actually worse during perimenopause. But the thing is, is that women just kind of like they didn't talk about it for a long time. Nope. And now we're starting to talk about it, and people are starting to recognize that maybe I should actually do something about it and try to help the symptoms when I can. Ah, oh, the joys of being a female. It just never ever ends for us, does it? No, unfortunately. So it sounds like that sleep can obviously change over the course of our lives. For me in particular, it kind of caught me off guard because I was always a great sleeper. And so I thought that that was my life sentence, that I'm just a really good sleeper. And even when I was pregnant, I slept like a baby. And then lately, all of a sudden, I'll go through periods ebbs and flows of having trouble falling asleep or waking up in the middle of the night with the racing brain or anxiety or whatever it is. So sleep, it's not a straight line, right? It can change over time for various I, reasons. All the time. I'll say I was a great sleeper for so many years and then all of a sudden this happened. So yeah, it can change. And so what are some of the things that we can do to get ahead of it? For example, how do we know when it's not quote unquote normal, what's happening in our sleep cycle and when it's time to seek out some help from someone like you perhaps. Love that question. So a lot of times people think that, because I think because of ads and stuff that we think that sleep should be perfect every single night. And I hate to say it, but that's not reality. There's individual variation from night to night. So with that variation, kind of aim for five nights a week where you're getting enough sleep for you and you feel like your sleep quality is 
refreshing. You feel well rested and fresh. So that allows for one or two nights a week where maybe it's not great. But if you're happy with how you're doing most nights of the week, you're probably fine. If you're dragging, if you feel that you get enough sleep but it's not restorative and you're, you're sleepy during the day, if you're having nightmares routinely, if you're like snoring and choking, gasping, that's all stuff you wanna have evaluated for sure. So let's talk a little bit about anxiety and how this comes into play as it pertains to sleep and some of the strategies that maybe you have for us on how we can turn off I think what I call it is those racing brains at night. It seems like it's impossible to just shut out, shut out the voices of the day. I think there's a few different, there's actually many different ways you can approach it. But the one thing I always tell people is don't lay in bed worrying with like a racing brain. Like just get out of bed. If you're not sleepy and you're just pop, 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 it's happening, go somewhere else because now you're training your body that the bed is a place to problem solve, to just have a busy brain, give yourself 20 minutes to fall asleep. But if you're laying there for hours, don't even bother. But the other thing I also encourage people to do is even if you don't have a lot of anxiety, but you're just a busy brain, give yourself time to wind down. Whatever you go to bed with that's on your brain, you're going to likely wake up in the middle of the night with it on your brain again. So if you can, I always say like, do like a brain dump essentially. So journaling is great for some people, mm. really pretend least a half hour if you can stay away from screens social media any emails that also worsens our it wakes us up and worsens any anxiety that we're having but if you can write down journal what's on your mind sometimes it's literally prioritizing to-do lists what do i have to do what would i like to do tomorrow what doesn't what could get done but can wait and really prioritizing helps so that you're taking care of it and if you wake up in the middle of the night say nope i thought about it let it go thought about oh. it let it go thought about it, let it go. There is something about putting those worries or the agenda down on the page. And it does feel like you kind of transfer that and it's, it's out of your brain. Now, do you rec recommend doing that in the bedroom or do you recommend doing all of that stuff somewhere else? The ideal is to do all of it out of your bed if you can. But the reality is I work in New York City. I have patients who live in studio apartments. So like right. just, no, they can't go anywhere. So just try to sit outside your bed, do as much as you can. And also, you know, like meditation is another great thing that a lot of people are doing. But I love people to also meditate during the day. Spend two minutes meditating during the day. It's going to help you to be able to notice when your brain is going like this at night and quiet it down instead of only meditating to fall asleep to at night. So really try a daytime practice for it. And this doesn't pertain to a lot of moms because we don't often have time to shut our eyes during the day. But for some people, they might take a little 20 minute power nap. I always was in the school of thought with children that sleep begets sleep. Is that the same for adults? Like if you're well rested during the day, you'll sleep well at night? Or do you say no to naps? I don't have a one way or another when it comes to naps. If you're someone who struggles with falling asleep, staying asleep or waking too early, naps tend to um, take away from your sleep at night. So it actually can worsen it. But if you're a good sleeper at night, maybe you just can't make enough time for sleep one or two nights here and there because you're busy doing whatever with your kids or whatever, and you can take a 20 minute nap earlier in the day and it doesn't disturb your sleep at night, that's great. More power to you if you can do it. But do it, try to do it before like 2 p.m. Um, because if you do it too close to bed, it is it can make make it harder to fall asleep or stay asleep at night. That was my question for everybody because this girl cannot nap. I have never been a napper. I don't understand the concept. Once I close my eyes, they are closed generally until the next morning. So napping to me is a disaster. I don't understand the concept. So it's like, what? You want me to get up now? No. Some people are really champions at it. And I yeah. 
but it, also the one other thing to caveat is if you find that you sleep enough at night and you still need to take multiple naps during the day and they're not refreshing, then you might want to see your doctor. To Something make sure. might be up. Well, let's talk about this concept of momsomnia. You mention it in the book and there's been articles written since and things, and it seems like women are really latching onto this. So what was it that you discussed and why do you think that women were so on board with this concept? It's so funny because I wrote about it in my book, but I didn't coin the term. I basically called it a chapter on it because I had female women patients who were all moms who kind of just in my area were just talking about this. I have momsomnia. It's just a term that people have been using here and there. And essentially what it is, we call it now, people have been calling it revenge bedtime procrastination. It's the same thing. It's that I'm busy being a mom, working, doing everything so much during the day that when my kids go to bed and I'm done with everything, I don't wanna to go to sleep. I'm just gonna sit and do all the things that I want to do, like binge watch Netflix, <laughs> all that sort of stuff, kind of sacrifice sleep as a result. So that's what momsomnia is, or you're doing a million things and sacrificing sleep. So it's, it's, an, it's actually an age old issue, but I think people are starting to glom onto it more because they're starting to see how sleep is important and what are the things that we're doing that are actually negatively impacting our sleep. And this is one of those things. When we talked in the beginning about how insomnia disproportionately affects women, and I kind of thinking about this book I have behind me called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. She was a guest on the show. And we just talk about the, the, all the things that moms have on their brains that perhaps the men do not as far as play dates and who has allergies and what the kids are doing. And it just seems at night that we are dealing with a lot of that. Yes. And those are the things that can keep us up at night and really screw up our sleep. So common, right? So sometimes it's we're choosing to stay up because we're like, you know what? I just want to do something where I, whatever I want, like watching TV nonstop. But then sometimes it is your brain is just going a million miles a minute with all the things that you need to do. And that's why I make a big point of trying to protect a little bit of time to just wind down without screens to wind your brain down to really, and if you can't find, we always say like an hour, but that's, I mean, come on, who has an hour every night to wind down before bed? Try to spend 10 minutes just like not thinking about all that stuff. Do something that's quiet and relaxing for yourself without screens. And once 10 minutes gets better, then move it to 15 minutes. So you're saying without screens though, without screens, because for a lot of people, the wind down simply is, the mindless scrolling. And I don't think we realize how bad that is for sleep and probably for a lot of reasons, right? You're looking at the screen, which has the light, plus mm -hmm. we're getting all of this over stimulation and we know that it's, it's bad for our mental health. I mean, there's so many things at play here, right? So many things at play. And you know what I think is fascinating is a lot of people are taking melatonin over the counter mm -hmm. and your brain makes melatonin naturally. It's, it should. And when you're looking at screens, you're making your brain's natural melatonin not work as well. And melatonin is what makes you sleepy. So people are taking supplements to try and overcome it. And, it's, and then you're looking at a screen, which is making it not work well anyways. So if we can just try to detach from the screen, which is like staring at the sun before your bed, then find things that are relaxing. Like I said, 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes I don't have time and I just do a light, gentle yoga or um, breathing or stretching routine for 10 minutes before I get in bed, just to put an end to the day and bring night. I think we can all at least commit to 10 minutes before bed with no screens. I'm going to work on that. For me, the thing that really was the light bulb moment for me when I had kids was I used to be like, I have to clean the kitchen. I have to get all the dishes clean. I have to do, I have to clean up all the toys. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes that can sit. Really? Yeah. It doesn't 
have to be done before it might cause anxiety in me but the better i get at just protecting myself and taking care of myself i know i'll be better to do those things during the day so we were talking about melatonin so real quick where do you stand on melatonin I think it has its place for some people, but it's not like the cure-all for insomnia, like a lot of people think. And a lot of people take way too much of it. So like three to five milligrams is a half, it's like enough. If you're taking more than that, talk with your doctor. It's probably not going to be useful for you. Um, but a lot of times melatonin isn't that cure that most people are looking for. But we do use it for things like jet lag, night owl syndrome, stuff like that. But you have to time it right. I noticed the next day and could be the placebo effect, who knows, but I feel like a slight hangover from the yeah. melatonin. Is that possible? Very possible. So even though it's over the counter, a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't have any side effects. Mm. No, it's over the counter. It can, a little that, fogginess. Yes, fogginess. Sometimes people feel a little dizzy, nausea. And sometimes if you have vivid dreams and you're taking melatonin, that can actually cause it too. Okay. So we talked about some of the, the why and some of the reasons why we may be having trouble sleeping. So what are some of the things that we can do to improve our sleep today, aside from what we talked about as far as the 10 minute, you know, wind down before bed. So the thing that I am always talking about with people is consistency. A lot of times, if you, if you're trying to get sleepy at the same time and sleep throughout the night, getting up at the same time every single day, it's not easy, but really being consistent with that wake time and getting light in the morning. Those are two things that you can do. Might not be easy, but you can do it. That actually helps people fall asleep faster and stay asleep a little bit more. So that's the simplest thing that I usually tell people by having a consistent wake up time. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And is there a consistent, but the wake up time is really key. And is there a magic number as far as how many hours we should be shooting for a night? It's really a range. It's between six ish and nine hours for about 70% of the population. The eight is just kind of in between. That's where they get that eight from. So I usually tell people like, it's not easy with parents a lot of times, but if you have the ability to go away or not have to get up at the same time every morning or go to like, go to bed when you normally get up. And then after about five to seven days, just see how much sleep you naturally get when you don't have to get up for any reason. And by like days four, five, six, that's kind of your, your sleep need probably because you're paying back a little sleep debt at the beginning. Does that make sense? It does. So when you have women who come in who say, listen, I sleep all night. I, I sleep, I think about an eight hour night, but I, when I wake up, I never feel refreshed. I never feel like, ah, like those people in the Disney movies, you know, with the birds, <laughs> the window, but, right. but truly like never feeling like you really got the sleep. What is usually the culprit? Are they not really sleeping as well as they think they are? Possibly. It could be also that you're, sometimes people have a lot of caffeine, they're having alcohol, which can reduce the quality of the sleep that you're getting. Light exposure can sometimes do that if you're on your phone a lot at night. But if you're getting a full night's sleep routinely and you just feel like you can't get through the day and you're really dragging, definitely talk to your doctor because sometimes medications can do that. Sleep apnea is very common. It's common in women. And especially when you start to hit perimenopause, sleep apnea rates go, uh, go up a lot. And women who are pregnant often have a higher risk of sleep apnea. So it's something you want to talk to your doctor about because you might be snoring and not realize it. And you mentioned alcohol. I feel like you need to come back. We could do a whole nother half hour on alcohol and the sleep cycle and the misconceptions. Oh, I'll just have a little glass of wine. It'll help me sleep better. A lot of times false. <laughs> You're up like at 3 a.m. because of that sugar drop or whatever it may be, right? It, it can be a whole problem. You can fall asleep easily. I know I'm like hard to stay up if I, I have I half a glass of wine, but it's that quality of sleep that you were talking about. That's the yes. problem. 
Okay. So we just have about a minute to go, but I wanted to do a little bit of a sleep rapid fire with the experts. So I'll hit you with some ideas and you just the first thing and we'll go through it real quick. How many alarms would we set? Should we set? One, maybe two if you need. Snooze or no snooze? No snooze. It's going to be crummy quality sleep. Naps, take them or leave them. If you want it, good. But if it impacts your sleep at night, don't do it. TV before bed. Uh, Try to limit it within at least a half hour if you can. The magic number of hours of sleep. It's somewhere between six and nine. You, You pick what works for you. Does your body adjust to less sleep over time? Yay or nay? Not at all. You can fool yourself into it, but you you really can't. And is it better to have the temperature in your room hot or cold? Cold. Upper 60s is kind of ideal. I love it. Thank you so much. That We actually covered a lot of this. So our pop quiz worked. I'm like, I actually know the answers to a lot of these rapid fires now because we covered so much ground. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more information about you and what you do out there on the interwebs? So I have a website, dr, like drshelbyharris.com. I have an Instagram where I do a lot of evidence-based information about sleep and treatments like cognitive behavior therapy, and that's at sleepdocshelby. And then I also have my book, which is Cognitive Behavior Therapy for Insomnia, which is the gold standard treatment for insomnia. And you can find that anywhere on Amazon. It's pretty readily available online. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like I learned so much and it was like a a great visit with the the therapist. (laughs) Thanks. I'm happy to be here. All right, Shelby. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom. I hope you got something out of this. I hope you will sleep well tonight. A little housekeeping for you. You can check out Mom to Mom, the TV show on Mondays on NBC 10 Boston at 11.30 a.m. Also, you can follow us on our Facebook group and see all the stuff we've got going on there. All you have to do is search Mom to Mom with Maria Sansone. And as always, you can binge all of the episodes of Mom to Mom, the podcast. There's over 20 episodes with experts and authors with so much great information. So I invite you to check that out and binge away. All right, everybody, sweet dreams. I'll see you next time here on Mom to Mom. <laughs>